If you would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We will be looking at other passages as we go along, but they will be in the Gospel of Matthew as well. We've been studying miracles and doing so through the prism of the miracles that were performed by Jesus during his earthly ministry. Last Sunday, and I suspect for the rest of the series, we will be looking at more than one miracle each Sunday and to see what it is that it teaches us. The category we looked at last Sunday and the Sunday today as well is the category of those miracles which were requested. That is, that someone asked, last week we looked at those who requested something for someone else, and today it will be those who ask for themselves. I think, generally speaking, we think of miracles as being those things that are asked for. Um, I think that's just the way that we tend to think of them, which isn't wrong, but it isn't completely right either. Last Sunday, we considered three miracles. The royal official whose son was near death, the centurion whose servant was paralyzed and in terrible suffering, and then the four friends who lowered their friend through the roof uh, put him in front of Jesus, and Jesus heals him. So I suggested last week there are at least three lessons to learn from these three miracles. First of all, there were conversations. Um, in each case, there was a dialogue. There was a give and take. The conversations weren't always the same because the situations weren't always the same. Um, the conversation with the royal official, for example, I think had a certain harshness to it that he asked that Jesus will heal his son. And Jesus says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. That's I think, a rather harsh response to a request that Jesus heal his son. Um, but the royal official is not dissuaded. He is not dissuaded. Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus responds, you may go, your son will live. In the case of the centurion, it is actually the centurion in many ways who leads the conversation. Um, you know, he says, my servant is paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus said, okay, let's go to your place. And, and the centurion says, um, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's pretty good in of itself. But then he continues, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus responds, this is greater faith than he's seen among the Jewish people. The four friends who lower their friend through the roof, they don't do any talking. In fact, Jesus does all the talking and then his enemies are in their heads or having this conversation that this man is speaking blasphemy. Um, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And who, does, who's, who is this fellow to speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus said, well, let me ask you, what is it easier to do to say your sins are forgiven or get, your, you know, get up, take your bed and walk? Well, it's actually easier to say your sins are forgiven because who knows if that's happened. But Jesus wants them to know that he has the power to forgive sins. And then he says to the man, you know, get up, take your mat and walk. And he does. So the first thing is conversation. The second thing we saw is the authority of Jesus. That, in fact, Jesus has authority to do this. Um, 
It is in the healing of the centurion servant and the man who's lowered through the roof that this really comes through. The centurion says, listen, I know about authority. And then with the man on the mat who comes through the roof, Jesus says, I forgive your sins, showing that he has the authority to do that. Then the third thing was the place of faith. And in each of these stories, faith and belief was uh, present. The royal official took Jesus at his word. Jesus said, go home, your son's okay. And he believes, he goes. He doesn't say, no, 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 you've got to go with me. He takes him at his word. He goes and he finds out that at the very time Jesus said, your son is healed, that in fact he was healed. For the centurion, he says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For the four friends, Jesus saw their faith and he healed their friend. As I mentioned last week, we are modern people. And for us, faith is seen as very individual, very individualistic. And then there's the whole matter of being sick. I don't know about you, when I'm sick, I want to be alone. I don't want people around. And so when you combine illness and then the individualistic view of faith, we tend to pull away and to be isolated, and other people sort of isolate themselves from us as well. Um, So faith becomes this thing that I must do. If I want to get better, I need to have faith. It's something I must do. But in the three miracles we saw last week, we saw people having faith for somebody else. The royal official has faith for his son, the centurion for his servant, and the four friends for their friend that they lower through the roof. This may sound strange to us, having faith for someone else, because we are so modern. We think it's something we must do for ourselves. But if you think about it, during our time for prayer, when we speak of those who are in need, in essence, and when we pray for them, we are having faith for them, that God will do for them what we are asking. Um, By the way, these are not the only miracles, these three miracles, in which somebody asks for someone else. We have a very moving story of the Canaanite woman, or the Syrophoenician woman, as she's known in the older translations, in Matthew 15. When Jesus goes north of Galilee to Tyre and Sidon in modern day Lebanon, and she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I am sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, you're not a Jew. I'm not here for you. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. You're not a Jew. I'm, I'm not here to help you. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. She had great faith. But then there's also the familiar story. This is uh, found also in Matthew, but in Mark chapter 9, it's a much longer version of it, that a man comes to Jesus and says, listen, my son is demon-possessed, and this demon has robbed him of speech. He can't talk. He's mute because of this demon possession, this demon that has possessed him. And you know, when the demon comes on him, he gnashes his teeth and throws himself down, I asked your people, your disciples, to cast out the demon, and they could not. 
O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on him and help us. If you can, Jesus or said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And then Jesus healed the boy. He cast out the spirit. The second incident is marked not simply by faith, there is faith, but also unbelief. And I think we are more like the man than we are like the woman in that we say we believe and we trust God and yet at the same time there is a large amount of unbelief. Today we're going to look at three miracles in which a person came to Jesus um, for a miracle. The first one is found here in Matthew chapter 8. This comes right after the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. Now we're in chapter 8. And in chapter 8, by the way, we find five miracles. This is the first. The second is the centurion's servant that we saw last week, then Peter's mother-in-law, then the calming of the storm, and at the end, two demon-possessed men. I must tell you, just on a personal note, I think this is my favorite story in the Gospels. I tried to get through it. I find it tremendously moving. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. To understand this story, I think we need to know the Old Testament, particularly Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. Here we have over 100 verses that deal with the contamination of skin diseases, including leprosy. Lepers were considered unclean. In chapter 13 of Leviticus, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, can't comb his hair, cover the lower part of his face, that is, he's to hold his hand under his nose, the area of the mustache, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean, he must live alone. He must live outside the camp. Of all the people of Israel, lepers were the most ostracized. They were the classic outsiders. It's not only enough that they have to stay outside, they have to announce to everyone that they are unclean. They're excluded from walled cities. They had to stay outside the cities, which mean they meant they could not enter Jerusalem and they certainly could not enter the temple area and worship with God's people. That the leper approaches Jesus is quite remarkable. Because, in fact, uh, rabbis were to stay at least six feet away uh, from lepers. Um, They were supposed to be alone. They were not to be with regular people, if you wish. 
In Luke 17, we have a more appropriate approach. This is where we have ten lepers who want to be healed by Jesus. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. This is more appropriate for the man to come up to Jesus like this. It's really highly inappropriate. But he does. He has faith. And his remark, I think, demonstrates faith in two, two ways, the two sides. First of all, he calls him Lord. So he acknowledges that he is Lord. First of all, if you are willing, and then secondly, you can make me clean. See, true faith is not demanding. It is modest. It is respectful. It may be bold. Through the Lord Jesus, we may come with boldness, but it is not to be demanding. Faith keeps its place and it bows before the pleasure of the one who is called Lord. All good faith has respect. I suspect that much of what is called faith today is very disrespectful and very demanding. On the other hand, while faith is modest, it is sure that God can do what the petitioner is asking for. So we find a a mixture here, and this is what faith is, a mixture of modesty as well as confidence. We are confident that God can do this, but we are modest. We are not going to presume that God will do this. If he is willing, we know he can do this. We have confidence. If we would be honest, faith does not know if the Lord intends to heal. Certainly, it would appear that in every case, he does not heal. And, let's be honest, we will all one day die, faith or not. But the heart of faith is not tactfulness, if you wish, but confidence. The if, by the way, is not whether or not Jesus could heal. The if is before whether or not he was willing. He is, after all, the Lord. The leper is not the Lord. He is not the one to say, you must heal me. He is the leper. Jesus is the Lord. He is the one to make the decision. Then you will notice that there is, in fact, no request here. There is no petition. It's like the centurion who says, my servant is paralyzed and in great suffering. The man simply states a fact. He doesn't say, will you please heal me of this disease? He says, if you are willing, you can do this. I think there would have been nothing wrong if the leopard said, please heal me. But in fact, that's not what he does. Instead, he makes it clear that Jesus has the ability. And I want to be careful here, but I think in this story we see a man who has faith in Jesus in contrast to faith in God. Now, Jesus is God. And in a sense, the man is acknowledging that. But he comes to Jesus and says, you can do this. If you are willing, you can do this. And then perhaps the most moving part of this story is the intimacy of the healing. Jesus reached out and touched the man. He said, I am willing. And then he said, be clean. Jesus very well could have backed up the appropriate six feet away from the man and said to him, I'm willing, be clean. But then that would have been an entirely different miracle. We now know 
that leprosy is not contagious by touch. People in the ancient world did not know that. That's why people shunned lepers. They were afraid of contagion. The fact is that Jesus at that time, in that place, reached out and touched the man, speaks volumes. One writer put it this way, I think wonderfully. The whole gospel is in that grasp. This is the easiest of the miracles to understand. Here is a man who since becoming ill has never been touched. Few acts would affect this constantly shunned leper like this man's touching him. And in that touch, we have God's identifying love. And you'll notice that Jesus touches him before he heals him. I think there's something for us as God's people to, to learn from that, that as we deal with those who are in need, um, we should not expect for them to get their act together and then we'll deal with them. Jesus touches the man in his leprosy. Now in the Old Testament, if you touch someone who is unclean, you become unclean. And in essence, Jesus is saying, I am willing to become unclean. I am willing, and he touches the man. But the reality is the kingdom of heaven has come. And in the kingdom, things are different than they are in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, that which was unclean would contaminate that which is clean. In the New Testament, that which is clean sanctifies that which is unclean. Listen from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. The picture, I think, is for Paul that you have a married couple with children, and Paul comes into Corinth and he preaches, and one of the spouses becomes a Christian, not the other one. And so the question is, I'm now a believer in Jesus should I still stay with my spouse? Um, and I think the fear is that I might be contaminated by the unbelief. And Paul says, no, it's actually quite the reverse. The kingdom of heaven has come. Your belief will sanctify not only your spouse, but your children as well. And then the last thing in this story is that Jesus speaks after he touches the leper. He says, I am willing, be clean. It is easy to believe that Jesus' touch alone healed the man. But Jesus wants to speak. He wants to interpret, if you wish, his touch. Actions oftentimes need to be clarified. It isn't simply enough to act. One must speak. The act without words is unclear. And words without the act are unimpressive. Put yourself in the leper's place. First Jesus touches you and then he speaks a word of healing. must have just been astounding, this wave of peace and of the love of God and of healing wash over this man as he is healed. He is healed, but then he is told that he is to give a testimony. He is to follow what we find in Leviticus chapter 14. If you have been healed of a skin disease, of leprosy, you are then to go and show yourself to the priest. He is the one who verifies whether or not, you know, you can run around saying, I've been healed, I've been healed. Well, no, the priest is the one who says, yes, this man is no longer a leper. 
and you are also to give an animal as a sacrifice and be proclaimed clean. So this was to be a testimony to the priest. How did this happen to you? Well, I, this man Jesus touched me and said, be clean, and, and now I am. It was to be a testimony to them. Now, as to whether or not the man obeyed Jesus, we are not told in Matthew. Mark does tell us. This story is recorded in the first chapter of Mark, and it's right there at the beginning. He does not obey Jesus. And this leads to the second miracle. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse number 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith will it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. A few things to consider. This is the first time that Jesus is proclaimed publicly as Messiah. Son of David is, for the Jews, another way of saying the Messiah. They see him as Messiah. Second thing is Jesus, at least initially, ignores them. They're outside and they're, Son of David, you know, help us. And he goes inside. He doesn't engage them in conversation. He simply goes inside and they follow him in. But then there is a conversation do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they respond, yes, Lord. And then as with the leper, Jesus touches them and tells them, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight is restored. Jesus tells them not to tell anyone, but as we read, they in fact do tell. One writer put it, I think, quite well, their disobedience is unimpressive. They should not have told And if you read Mark's account of this, because the man, uh, the leper who was healed, went and told everyone, Jesus was not able to go into towns. There were so many people. And in some ways, he hindered the ministry of Jesus because he failed to obey. We need to remember that just because God does something wonderful in our lives doesn't mean we will automatically be obedient Christians, obedient children. No, we, we have to be instructed. Jesus has to tell them but they do not obey him. We are not only to experience the grace of God, but we are to live lives of obedience. And these two men who have their sight restored, which must have been an amazing... Can you imagine being blind and then having your sight back? It must have been amazing. But in their enthusiasm, they in fact do not listen. They do not obey. The third miracle is found in Matthew chapter 20. If you would turn there. And this is a story of two other blind men who are healed. Beginning in verse number 29 of Matthew chapter 20. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, 
Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called to them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Like the first story of the two blind men, they refer to Jesus as the son of David. And as with others, they are not put off. You know, when people are like, you know, be quiet. Jesus is busy. He's going up to Jerusalem. They are not put off by them. I think one of the most interesting things of this story is that Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? Really? (laughs) I'm blind and I'm calling out to you and I'm saying, have mercy on me. Can't you guess what it is that I want? But Jesus wants them to articulate it. Oftentimes in need, we call out to God and we're so busy calling out, we forgot, okay, what was it again that I was praying about? What was it? Jesus wants them to spell it out. He wants them to articulate what it is that they wanted. Now, some people think that this is the same story told twice. It's the same two guys that we saw in chapter 9. I don't think so. In chapter 15, we have, or chapter 14, we have the feeding of 5,000. In chapter 15, the feeding of 4,000. Repetition reinforces the point. If we didn't get it with the first two blind guys, hopefully we get it when we hear it this time. The first two men were disobedient. The second two men become disciples. If you look at the end, they followed him. They follow Jesus as he goes to Jerusalem. This is the final public miracle with messianic significance. Jesus will be crucified within the week. But these men proclaim him as the Messiah, son of David, and they follow him. Okay, what can we learn from these miracles? First of all, conversations. And again, we saw this last week. Uh, we have a give and take, a dialogue between the individual or individuals and Jesus. And there's a deeply personal aspect to this. It isn't like, you're over there, I'm going to heal you. There is this give and take. Jesus says, I am willing. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? He asked the first two blind men. According to your faith, will it be done to you? And then the question, what is it that you want me to do for you? So there is conversation. Secondly, there is physical touch. In all three of these stories, Jesus touches uh, the leper, which I think is the more amazing of all of these stories. But then with the four blind men, the two and the two, he touches their eyes and they receive their sight. And lastly, we see that Jesus gives instructions. In the case of the leper, go and show yourself to the priest. Offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony. In the case of the second two blind men, see that you tell no one about this. In the second pair, no instructions are given, but they do follow Jesus as he goes to Jerusalem. Now here at the end, I want to make something clear. I have suggested that there are lessons we can learn from these miracles, that there's something they signify. But I want to make it clear that these were not the only ways that miracles happened. We will see in the weeks to come. Um, For example, if you go back to Matthew chapter 8, the chapter that has five miracles, 
after the healing of the leper and the healing of the centurion's servant, we have the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. This is in Matthew 8, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in a bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. As best we can tell, there's no conversation here. Jesus and Peter's mother don't talk. Um, There's no request. Um, Jesus touches her and the fever leaves. What we do see, and this is mentioned in each of the Gospels except for John, she gets up and begins to serve. In other words, the fact that Jesus had healed her was obviously an occasion for joy. But now that I'm healed, what am I? Oh, I'm supposed to serve. I wasn't healed so that I can sort of run around and tell people I've been healed. I am healed for a purpose, and that is to serve. In this miracle, and I would suggest, and all the rest, if we pay attention, is grace. God's grace. I don't want you to think, based on what I've said, that there's some type of formula that to get God to do the miraculous in your life, you have to follow a particular pattern and then you will get what you want. It is all of grace. Just consider how many prayers that you have not prayed has God answered. That God in grace acted in in a miraculous way in your life or in the life of someone else. And then afterwards you're like, I didn't even pray about that. God is so gracious that he acted even before I could pray. We shouldn't say, oh, wait a minute. I need to have a conversation. I need to have faith. I need to follow this pattern and then God will act. God is so gracious. God has done so much for us when we have not even asked. But in these miracles, we do see this pattern of conversation, of touching, and then of instruction. More times than I care to admit, I have asked for something, God has responded positively, and then I've promptly forgotten. Just gone along my own merry way. We, are, we can ask. God oftentimes answers affirmatively. We are to be grateful. And like Peter's mother-in-law, we are then to be people of service. But above all, it is grace. It is grace. God does not heal because we did it, we asked the right way. He doesn't answer our prayers because we prayed with the right words. He does what he does because he is gracious. And for me, the first miracle that we looked at today, that of the leper, as the one writer put it, the gospel is in that grasp. When Jesus touches him, Jesus is willing to touch a man who is unclean. So God works in our lives. And we should be grateful. Let's pray together.
Father, I think that when we get to heaven, when we are with you, we will come to see all the times that you acted in our lives that we weren't even aware of it, how you delivered us from danger, you kept us safe, you kept us in health. And it is because of your great love and grace that we have what we have. I thank you for these miracles that we see Jesus performing. How he does want to talk to people. If we would put it plainly, to sinners. And more than that, he is willing to touch them in their infirmity. And as Isaiah tells us, to take their infirmities on himself. But in the joy of the moment, there is also instruction. There is to be obedience. May we take these things to heart. Meditate on them in the days to come. May your spirit remind us gently from time to time of these things. Above all, may we be grateful for your great grace. As the Father said about his Son, Lord, we believe, help us in our unbelief. Go with us as we leave this place today. May we have a sense of you walking with us step by step through the coming week. May we pray for one another and may we be grateful. I ask that your spirit and your grace would go with us as we leave this place today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.